Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in Black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is rmartinunfiltered. Venmo is rmunfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. January 2nd, and I'm Dr. Avis Jones-DeWeaver, filling in for Roland Martin. Here's what's coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Gun laws just got more relaxed, with more than 20 states allocating, allowing people to carry handguns without permits. We will speak with the National African American Gun Association president to explain what this means for gun safety in America. I also talked to a South Carolina lawmaker who says that these new laws are great for women. 
The Columbus, Ohio District Attorney's Office released a public statement explaining why charges were against the man who fatally shot 13-year-old Cynthia Reed. A state's attorney will join us to describe the legal process of charging charges pending, uh, charging the potential suspects. Late civil rights icon Representative John Lewis will be honored with a monument. We will give you all the details about when and where so you can see it. Black women are leaving corporate America in record-breaking numbers. We will discuss why black women have opted for a new path of success and what can be done to fix continued barriers for black women with nine to fives. This year has just begun and we have lost two music icons. We will reflect on the lives and show some of their best moments. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. In 2023, more than 20 states will allow people to carry handguns without a permit. On January 1st, Alabama became the most recent state allowed to carry without a state permit gun legislation. Gun legislation progressed dramatically. 11 states passed per permitless carry laws in the last three years. Gun control activists are pushing back on the least restrictive gun rights as they believe it will increase gun violence. Gun permit systems require applicants to demonstrate safe gun handling and knowledge of complicated gun laws. Adam Skaggs, Chief Law Center, a nonpartisan reform group, said this about the changes in gun laws. The opinion made clear that nothing in the Constitution requires permitless carry. Constitutional carry may sound good with its alliteration and the way it rolls off the tongue, but it's fundamentally untrue and misleading. Guns in public have always been significantly regulated. By the end of the year, states with permitless carry could be the majority. Joining us to break down what this means for black America is Philip Smith, the president of the National African American Gun Association. Hello there, Mr. Smith. Hello, hello. Glad to be here and uh, honored to be on my Fraternity Brothers uh, show. All right. Great to have you. So my, my, I guess the biggest question to you is, what does all of this mean for black Americans? Does this make us more safe or does it put, it put us in greater danger? It allows us for the first, not the first time, but it, it's allowing us to take control of our own destiny. Prior to constitutional carry, you had to pay for a license fingerprinted, um, and then possibly get denied. With, per, for, with constitutional carry, you can now go into the store, pass the background check, and then you can start protecting yourself instantly. 
And for a lot of uh, folks out there, particularly women that are going through domestic abuse, being uh, uh, attacked by their ex-lovers, et cetera, et cetera, this is a very good thing because you want to have the ability to protect yourself instantaneously, and the constitutional carry allows you to do that. Mm -hmm. So how would you um, suggest that African-Americans who do want to take advantage of this opportunity, as you've laid out, what is the best way for them to be able to safely navigate society? I mean, we have examples of uh, law-abiding African-American gun owners who have been killed by police uh, because they were carrying their, their guns legally. Uh, what needs to happen so that those individuals who do want to take advantage of the Second Amendment in this way are able to do so in the most safe manner possible? That's a great question. And, and I'll say this. It's our Second Amendment, too. African-Americans, we're not a discounted American. We're not a sub-American. We are full-fledged Americans. We fought for this country even before we were considered citizens. So that Second Amendment is ours just like everyone else's, and we should not back down in any way, shape, or form. Um, if someone is illegally preventing us from having access to a gun, then that person needs to be addressed, be it a rogue police officer or someone in, in the uh, private sector that's pushing us away from firearms. But it's our right. Our ancestors died for us to have that that right of the Second Amendment, and we should not back down in any way, shape, or form based on on those uh, on that history. I definitely hear you right there. Um, also, I'm interested in what do you see as the future of this constitutional carry movement, if you want to call it a movement. Uh, do you think this is something that is really going to gain momentum in other states across the nation? And to what degree, uh, if any, is your organization active in making that happen? For one, it makes sense. It, it, what it, in essence, what we're saying is that if you're a law-abiding citizen, black, white, Asian, Latino, whatever, and you want to protect yourself, you have the right to go into a local store with an approved in a FFL, federal firearm license dealer or a gun owner, uh, and purchase a gun, pass a background check. And I want to make sure everyone's clear on that, because you have to pass a background check before you're allowed to buy the gun in a legal purchase. Once you pass the background check, you are then allowed to carry that gun out the store and begin protecting yourself, your family, your loved ones, your wife, your kids, your property instantly. That's the advantage. And that's why so many people across the country understand constitutional care for what it is. It allows law-abiding citizens to protect themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I want to also add in that if you are someone who's concerned that it's going to give folks access to guns, you're right, it is going to give us access to guns. And if you are a law-abiding citizen, that's a good thing, because you're not trying to rob anybody. You're not trying to hurt anybody. You're trying to protect yourself. Uh, and I think those are all good attributes of this particular uh, feature of constitutional care. It allows normal folks like you and I to go into the store and begin protecting ourselves without any um, obstacles to exercising our Second Amendment rights. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I have to say that I, I completely agree with your argument that more than just as much, if not more than anyone else, the Second Amendment is ours as well. Uh, when you look at the statistics in recent years, though, we have seen that there has been a huge increase, for example, uh, in the purchase of guns by, for example, white supremacists. And we're seeing the increasing violence with white supremacist organizations uh, across this country, record-breaking growth in that area. Uh, I'm wondering, do you see this as something that they might also take advantage of? And does that overall sort of uh, make us more in, in more peril? Or do you see this as something that we need for self-defense in, in all circumstances? I think if you look at the history of African-Americans in this country, 
too many times, too often, from Tulsa Massacre to Topps Market, which was the recent massacre of African Americans specifically, we have not been able to protect ourselves. So the constitutional carry and, and the ability and the awareness that we are now seeing in the African American community, and it is a surge, particularly among African American women, it's a good thing. It's time for us to start protecting ourselves as a people, as a community, and individually. Um, we have to understand that when you can protect yourself, that's the greatest statement that you can tell yourself, your wife, your kids, that you have the ability and you have the right, because your life means something. Your community means something. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. So I want to bring our panel into this discussion. We have with us tonight the incredible Dr. Julianne Malveaux, college, uh, the dean of the College of Ethnic Studies, California State University. Also, uh, Teresa Lundy, principal founder of TML Communications, and Dr. Jason Nichols, senior lecturer of African-American Studies Department uh, at the University of Maryland College Park, one of my old alma maters. Um, by the way, I wanted to get a start off with Dr. Malvo. Do you have a question around this particular issue? Absolutely, I do, Avis. Thank you, and Happy New Year to everyone. Um, my brother, I'm very interested in your arguments, but at the same time, I'm also interested in having you address the subject, sub subjective nature of perception around self-protection. Those men who followed the FedEx driver in Mississippi, they, he was not bothering them. They followed him with guns. Our people all too often are under siege. And so there is something subjective. And when you take this to a jury, which is not often made up of us, the outcomes are not favorable for us. What would you say to that, about that, and how we protect ourselves under those circumstances? And first of all, it's a great question, and I understand your concern, and it's a concern of mine, like, because I have kids, I have a wife, I have a sisters, I have brothers, I have members in my organization that go through that same process with, that you're talking about. The worst thing that we can do, the worst thing that we can do is to sh shut her down and allow someone to, to impose their will and say, you know what, you, for whatever reason, you folks over there, you black folks, you don't deserve to have a gun. There's something about your, your DNA that's, that's something a little bit different from everyone else in society. I said it after Trayvon Martin got shot, and I'll say it again tonight. Make sure that you carry to protect yourself. It's your right. If you have a rogue police officer, and I, wanna, I don't want to paint all police officers in a negative light because they do a hell of a job, 99, 9 cents of them, but that little percentage that's out there doing things that they should not do, as, such as um, shooting us on site when you don't have cause to and things of that nature, we have the right to protect ourselves. And we should never back down from that for, for anyone. Everyone in the African-American community should have a gun, but it's up to me. And I think we should stay on that route and make sure that is the mindset of our people. For too long, we've been a sheep and we've, we've been up for slaughter. And we have to stop that mindset. We have to stop, we have to stop it right now. Ms. Lundy, what are your perspectives? Yeah, well, thank you so much um, for bringing this to my attention. And see, I live in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and these laws are very strict. So um, right now in Philadelphia, we have a high percentage rating of gun violence, probably the uh, second highest in the country next to Chicago. And so I'm a little concerned, you know, with the idea and the theory that, you know, everyone deserves a gun without the permitting process. I, I, for me, I just need you to explain a little bit more. If they don't, if people don't have to go to their police department and actually go and register for a gun, how do we know that this gun has been, you know, fully background checked? Just 
again, explain that sure. process a little bit more. Sure, I'll, I'll walk you through. It's very, very simplistic, but it's very thorough in the same breath. When Let's take myself as an example, or you as an example. You're, you want to buy a gun. You go into a law-abiding, legally established gun store. When you have selected a gun, they're going to run what is called the NICS. That's the National Instant Criminal um, Background Check System with the FBI. That, at that particular time, will tell the owner of the store if you have a felony or not, or something on your background that is going to prevent you from getting a gun. When you pass that, you are then allowed, because you're a law-abiding citizen, they've just checked and you don't have any felonies, you don't have any criminal background, you don't have anything violent, and you are now allowed to carry that gun out the store because it is yours. That is the, pr the process. And the reason why it is so important, and I said this earlier, but I want to re reiterate this to everyone on the panel, that when you are allowed to buy a gun, particularly for black women, who are oftentimes subject to domestic violence and being robbed and attacked in public settings, you are now allowed to protect yourself instantly when you walk out that door. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it certainly puts you in a better position to protect yourself. Now, I want to address the second question, or I think the underlining question of all these black folks with guns out here. Everyone else has guns. Why can't we have guns to protect our community? Why can I not have a gun to protect my child, my daughter, my wife, my son? I'm a law-abiding citizen, so what is it in my DNA that is so troubling to some folks out in society for me to have a gun? I have a problem with that, and I think it's a double standard, and I think it's the underlining of racism if you have a problem with us having guns and other folks being allowed to have it. Before Dr. Nichols steps in, I just have a quick question, just a quick follow-up. I know that your organization historically has provided classes to help people be able to get to register for their guns and get to go the older, sort of more, a little bit more laborious way of getting access to guns. And now, uh, with this shift, a person would just need to pass the background check, as I understand. What do we lose by losing that interim step? Like, what, what happens in terms of filtering folk um, that you have been preparing people to be responsible gun owners by providing those classes with your organization. Now that you no longer have to do that as an organization, you know, what do we lose as a society with regards to keeping everyone a little bit more safe? I, I don't think, and I look at it a little bit differently, and, I, and I, I respect what you're saying, but I look at it totally different. I think we gain something. I think we gain the ability to protect ourselves quicker. I think those women are men that are purchasing guns, particularly black folks, and let's just be really candid with it. Black folks are buying guns in record numbers, particularly African-American women in our organization. There is a huge upswing in millions and millions of black women are coming together. When those women are out there buying those guns and those men are out there buying those guns, that's a gain for our community. That's a gain for that community because they can protect themselves. I don't see anything negative in that. Mm -hmm. um, I understand your concern, but I think people oftentimes get mixed up between gun rights and gun violence. And those are two separate conversations. No, I completely get it. I'm just wondering what is the difference? Like, is there, for example, can you give us a, a quick example of what you would be training people otherwise, like prior to this happening? What type of training would people get? Sure, when, when I'll, I'll give an example of what we do at the National African Gun Association, which is, by, by the way, the largest African American gun uh, group in the history of the U.S. with over 50,000 members. We have over 130 chapters. Um, we are growing in, in leaps and bounds. Um, the, what we do at our organization is the following. When someone comes into our, one of our chapters for basic information, we assess that person first. You just don't run out into the range and start shooting a gun aimlessly. We have certified instructors, black certified instructors, male and female, that put you through the steps 
that help you become a better shooter. We work on muscle memory. We work on work on stances. We work on hand management. We work on low ready, high ready. All those things that are basic to fundamentals. Those still those still, those things still happen. We don't skip over those because you have constitutional carry and you now have a gun. We still go through the same process. And for me, it, to me, it speeds up the process because you now can become trained quicker. You now can start your process to learn how to protect yourself and your family quicker. And I think those are all good attributes um, based on the law as it, as it presently is, is uh, constructed. Understood. Dr. Nichols. So firstly, let me say, I 100% believe that in, in the Second Amendment that uh, black people have that right. I'm a, I'm a gun owner myself, um, but I'm also a believer in gun control. I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. So um, I guess my, my first statement before I, I, I pose my question is uh, kind of piggybacks off uh, what Dr. Malveaux was saying, and that is that a lot of women, I, I think the, the thing about women uh, having guns, we also need to recognize that a lot of women are sitting in prison. A lot of black women are sitting in prison, sometimes for shooting their abusers, even when they had the legal right. So I think that's that's also something that we need to consider that, um, you know, that's also a, a, a fact. Now, my question is, with the, you know, you said that um, people have, that our people have the right to carry guns because other people have guns. I agree 100 percent, but those other people went through the, the uh, presumably went through the permitting process. What do you think is keeping black people from going through the permitting process? And why does the permitting process necessarily need to be removed? I, I, that's a great question. I, I think I have an even better answer for you. The permitting process, very simply, this registry allows that particular person to be registered in that particular state. Constitutional carry speeds up that process in that particular state for that person. They're not a rogue person having a gun without passing a background check. And I really want to emphasize that. You have to go through the NICS system, which is an FBI database on individuals in this country. If you come up with a felony, you're not going to be allowed to have a gun. So I don't okay, think it's negative at, at all um, based on how I understand your question uh, on, you know, regarding to the law itself. May I ask one, one follow-up, and that is uh, one of the things that we've seen, of course, with uh, a lot of the well, mass shootings that have happened I can. around the country is that we see young men, 18 and 19, um, getting firearms legally. And a lot of times when they're getting them legally, it's long guns because of the process of getting a long gun is, is the one that you're kind of referring to that's basically going to happen with the handguns. So does it worry you that these same individuals will be able to get handguns, which can be concealed uh, and carry them into public spaces that, and make people more uh, susceptible to, to violence from young, impulsive people? It, it bothers me, and I, and I appreciate your, and your question. I respect your question, but I, I think this is my response. It bothers me when I look at the history of our folks in this country, and we are constantly just, just out there pretty much naked. And when I say naked in, in this symbolic sense, that we don't have a gun, we don't have training, our community, our families, we're just sitting there and letting people go through us and kill us just, just because. And we never have anything to push back. This allows us a fighting chance. And I want people to understand that. For too long, the mindset of African Americans in this country has been to, well, you don't need a gun because that's a bad thing. You know, we don't need that. that that's, that's for those little folks over there. And we are constantly being attacked, hung, 
murder, murder massacre. It just goes on and on. I, I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm out of that mindset. I just really look at it from a totally different uh, perspective. And I respect what you're saying, but I think guns is the answer for a lot of the problems and the ills that we've seen in our, in our, in our communities. All right. Well, Mr. Smith, I want to thank you for joining us today. I, I definitely uh, agree that we deserve to be able to protect ourselves, even though this is a very complex and not an easy issue, as are many issues, right? That's thank correct. you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. God Absolutely. Bless you. bless you, too. Well, this, this is Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, and we'll be right back. Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you, but you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. I love directing. It's a different kind of piece. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I do believe that the 30 years I was acting was to prepare me for what I'm supposed to be doing and that what I'm really 
am good at. But when you were acting, were you even thinking about directing? No. Nope. Were, were you? So what the hell happened? If you had asked me 15 years ago, I probably would have said, no, I don't know. I was doing Ava's, uh, Ava DuVernay's first film, I Will Follow. Mm -hmm. And during that process, I think because it was her first film, maybe I... She self-taught. Absolutely. I probably gave too many suggestions. And at some point, <laughs> Ava said to me, I think you're a director and you don't know it. by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. The Supreme Court is back in session. God help us all. It is no exaggeration to say that this current session could completely reshape this country and redirect our future for generations to come, and not in a good way. We invite Dr. Belithia Watkins and Professor Angela Porter, our legal roundtable, back to the show to put it all in perspective. That's on the next Black Table. Please don't miss it, right here on the Black Star Network. I'm Angie Stone. Hi, I'm Teresa Griffin. Oh, Roland. Hey, Roland, I am so disappointed that you are not here, first of all. Um, where's our dance? It's like we get a dance in every time I see you. And so now you're not here for me to dance with, sir. You and your ascot. I need it. I need that in my life right now. Okay, um, I love you, Roland. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. We have been discussing permitless carry in the U.S. with Philip Smith, the president of the National African American Gun Association. Now we'll speak with South Carolina State Congressman Cesar McKnight to discuss what this change means and how this will impact black America. Representative McKnight, how are you this evening? Good evening. How are you doing? I am doing wonderfully. So we just engaged in a very robust conversation with Mr. Smith about the dynamics of this change in the black community. Um, where do you stand on how this will help or perhaps hurt, one might ask, uh, the black community? I think it could potentially be a good thing, particularly for African-American women. And here's why I say that. Um, I think it's once every five hours in this country, an African-American woman is murdered. Um, and my mother, my father passed away in 2021 to COVID. My mother lives alone. So I don't, I won't advocate a position where my mother will not be able to protect herself. And my mother owns a gun. She's always owned a gun. And I think it's necessary that sometimes our community, in particular our women, have to sometimes protect themselves. And that's not to impugn law enforcement or not to say there aren't good police out there. They are. However, when the police is on the phone, they're not there while the violence is being committed. So I want to provide our community with an opportunity to protect themselves. I know that sort of goes against the grain because our community has gun violence, but I think the African-American community can have 
and should have responsible gun and legal gun ownership, and they should avail themselves to, to the protections that they can provide themselves. That's that, that's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, it really kind of makes sense to me uh, in the sense of the scenario that you're giving where, you know, really black women are disproportionately likely in America, period, to be single. Either they are uh, single, never married, divorced, widowed. I mean, we're more likely to have to navigate this world by ourselves. And uh, you're saying that it makes sense to have this extra bit of protection there, particularly for that demographic who's more, more likely than perhaps others to have to be in situations where they can't rely on somebody else. They have to be able to protect themselves with or without police intervention. Absolutely. I mean, you, a, a gun, there's an old saying, and I hate to say it, but it says a gun in the hand beats a cop on the phone. And I think that when it comes to our community, when it comes to African-American women, they shouldn't shy away from gun ownership. Um, I think if they take the time to take a class and and familiarize themselves with firearms, they can find that it provides them a mode of protection other than an alarm system or other than dialing 911. Um, I, I just, I don't like what I, I don't like the trends that I see every day I'm on social media and I see an African-American woman, be it a young woman or an older African-American woman that's murdered at the hands of someone else. So I think it's time for us not necessarily to say, oh, all guns are bad. No, all guns are not bad. I think that if you've got a law-abiding citizen and he or she wants to arm themselves, if they take the necessary time to go out and familiarize themselves with a gun and they're responsible, they should have that opportunity. You know, one last question, I will just ask you about the cultural dynamics and just to bring in a little pop culture in here. We've seen all of the sort of brouhaha over what happened with Megan the St Stallion, right, in terms of her getting shot uh, by an acquaintance. Uh, and in essence, seeing public opinion, a lot of it going towards her shooter versus her, than she, even though she was the victim. You know, I do believe, to sort of quote a different saying, it's better to be judged by 12 than buried by six. But I, I would have to ask you, um, you know, just in terms of the dynamics of misogynoir in this nation, even if a black woman protects herself, uh, isn't it likely that she'll still be considered guilty in a lot of people's eyes? I, I think that what happened with Megan's instance is that you had a lot of people, we didn't have access to the trial, like the cameras there. So you had people coming out giving secondhand information and poisoning the minds of everyone to think that, okay, all of these things happened and Megan's absolutely lying. I, I think that the jury spoke, they answered, and the verdict is clear that Tory Lanes or whatever his name is, perpetrated a heinous crime on a woman. And my heart goes out to her. I hope that never happens to anybody else. And I hope that any woman that finds herself in the company of somebody that's going to do her harm like that with a gun should be able to protect herself. I, I don't, that's, I, I know we're on social media. What I really want to say is that's some sucker stuff and I'm going <laughs> to leave that alone. But um, no, I, I, listen, at the end of the day, you know, I've got a mom, I have a daughter, my daughter's six. And when she's old enough, because I already take her out and familiarize her with firearms as of now. I'm going to make certain that she has the ability for, to protect herself because daddy can't always be there. But I want her to know that she has the, the right and the option to protect herself.
Well, thank you so much for joining that for joining us this evening, Representative. And I know that your daughters should feel very, very proud to have you uh, as their dad. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Bye. Absolutely. And we'll be right back to Roland Martin Unfiltered after this message. You're watching the Black Star Network. Folks, Black Star Network is here. A real um, revolutionary right now. <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. I thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Stay Black. I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. The Supreme Court is back in session. God help us all. It is no exaggeration to say that this current session could completely reshape this country and redirect our future for generations to come, and not in a good way. We invite Dr. Felicia Watkins and Professor Angela Porter, our legal roundtable, back to the show to put it all in perspective. That's on the next Black Table. Please don't miss it. Right here on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. What's up, everybody? It's Godfrey, the funniest dude on the planet. <laughs> Hi, I'm Israel Houghton. Apparently, the other message I did was not fun enough. So this is fun. You are watching... Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. Columbus, Ohio District Attorney's Office has released a public statement about the shooting death of 13-year-old Sensei Reed. Sensei was shot and killed in October of last year by a 36-year-old neighbor, Craig A. Butler, Sr. Butler was initially arrested. A week later, the felony murder was char charged against Butler was dismissed in Franklin County Municipal Court. The decision has sparked outrage in the community as records show Butler was not supposed to have a firearm. The Franklin County Prosecutor's Office released the statement on Friday. The case remains under review for potential presentation to the grand jury as evidence is gathered and reviewed. So far, no new charges have been filed. So what is needed for a district attorney to secure an indictment from a grand jury? Tell, to give us some insights is Aisha Braveboy, the state's attorney in Prince George's County. Ms. Braveboy, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. So I would have to say, as the mother of sons, this is very, very disturbing to me. Uh, and I'm sure that every parent out there would feel the same. Um, 
you know, what is the holdup? How come we haven't seen more swift action in terms of charges that actually stick for this um, tragic event? Well, in this case, it appeared that the uh, police did charge the suspect in this case. However, uh, the prosecutors dismissed the charges at the municipal court level. Now, it, I'm in Maryland, so I think it's akin to our district court, which is uh, the court that all cases start out in. So every case that is charged is charged in the district court here. I'm assuming the same thing applies there, that it's charged in the municipal court. For those cases that are felony cases and that should be indicted or criminal information, which is another kind of a strategy we use here, uh, those cases have to go through a process in order to get to circuit court or felony court. Hmm. Um, and so the prosecutors then have to determine whether or not they have proof beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime has been committed. See, the police charge based on uh, probable cause. We indict based on proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And if the prosecutors don't believe that they have enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime was committed, then they will not uh, submit that to a grand jury. Because once a grand jury indicts a case, or if the grand jury indicts a case, uh, the clock starts ticking. Mm -hmm. uh, we have something called the right to a speedy trial guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And so if uh, a defendant uh, is charged and formally charged, indicted for uh, a specific, uh, you know, crime, then they have a right to be tried within a certain amount of time. And so oftentimes prosecutors will want to avoid charging if they don't feel like they have the evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the uh, individual who is charged or suspected of committing a crime actually committed that that. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Uh, yeah, I definitely get that, uh, that they, if they're going to bring a case before a grand jury, they actually want the charges to, to hold so they can go to trial, and they don't want to sort of gum up the system with bringing things in front of a grand jury that they don't think will ultimately result in charges. Um, but, you know, I think that most of, uh, you know, black America will be thinking about other cases in which uh, people in the community had to fight uh, in order to get prosecutors to bring things to grand jury that seemed like pretty obvious uh, illegal acts, uh, oftentimes permitted by, done by actual policemen. But this is a citizen who, it seems, should not have had the firearm uh, in the first place. Um, you know, to what degree should the citizens be worried that, you know, their kids can just be shot dead and because for, and even if the police do their part of the bargain in terms of initially arresting and charging this person, that somehow the prosecutor can, in essence, pull the rug out from under uh, the whole system and say, oh, wait a minute, uh, even though your child is dead forever, um, we don't see a crime here or even thought, think that it's close enough to be in a crime where we want to even bring this in front of a grand jury for them to make the decision. Does, can you see how this can be a little bit disconcerting for people? Absolutely. Let me tell you, I mean, we make tough decisions every single day. And sometimes we do delay in moving forward with charges because, again, we only get one shot. If the individual uh, is brought to trial and we don't have sufficient evidence and they are determined or adjudicated not guilty, then that means that we are never able to bring charges again. And so if you look at it from that perspective, you'll understand why prosecutors really have to take their time and ensure that they have enough evidence moving forward. In this case, it appears that there may be, and I'm not saying it's a valid claim, but that there's likely going to be a claim of self-defense. Mm -hmm. And so the prosecutors then have to look at all of the factors in the case and determine whether or not uh, self-defense would be a viable or, you know, a, a, a good claim uh, in this case. And they have to really look at that, because if they bring this case uh, to trial, um, not only do we have to, as prosecutors, be concerned about juries uh, determining that we didn't prove our case beyond a reasonable doubt, but even before the case goes to a jury, uh, there are motions that get filed, uh, and, and motion to dismiss uh, a case gets filed if the prosecutor has not met its burden. And so a judge could actually dismiss a case that a prosecutor brings if they find that they're, that we didn't meet our burden. So it is a really a big deal when and how cases 
are indicted. And so uh, while I don't know all the facts of this case, and I certainly, my heart goes out to this family, I think it's just unconscionable that any parent, uh, you know, loses a child in this way. So it is it is very disconcerting. But I think the worst thing would be uh, to bring a case that's not ready, have to try a case that, that's not ready, and get a really bad outcome for the family. So my hope is that the prosecutor's office is working diligently to determine whether or not charges can and should be uh, refiled and, and charged and indicted, and this case should be presented to a grand jury. Um, or if they decide something else, they need to be transparent with the public. But I think the biggest uh, hurdle right now for the prosecutors is making the decision, and they need to be working diligently in order to bring resolution to at least whether or not they're going to pursue an indictment. Right. So it sounds like, are you saying then that there might be an option or an opportunity for charges at a different level to be bought? Is that what you're saying? Yes. So what happens is when um, a case is charged, and again, I'm, I'm in Maryland, but I, I think it works this way across the, the country, it's brought and typically every uh, case starts out in uh, the what's called district court or municipal court or the lower level court, where all charges are filed. Then, for those felony cases, uh, those case, cases get elevated to a felony court. And so, you don't try, let's say, a homicide in a municipal court or a district court. That doesn't happen. You try that in a felony court with felony judges. Mm -hmm. And so, so, even if a case gets dismissed, and, and the reason oftentimes that a case gets dismissed at um, the municipal or district court level, in my case, is because the prosecutor is not ready yet to present the case to a grand jury, but there, but the clock is ticking. And so when a, an individual is charged, they have a right to a speedy trial. They also have a right uh, to determine whether or not they're actually going to be formally charged by grand jury in the case of felonies, whether or not that's going to move forward. Um, and so there's a certain period of time, typically it's 30 days, uh, that uh, prosecutors have to determine whether or not they're going to indict a case. If they don't indict the case, then they're going to dismiss those felonies. That doesn't mean that the case goes away. That just means that they need more time. And so oftentimes they are working with law enforcement, doing their research, preparing themselves to make that ultimate decision on whether or not this case will go to a grand jury. And so I would not say that all hope is lost and that justice hasn't been served. Uh, sometimes it is delayed based on the facts and the evidence. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, the prosecutor won't bring this case to a grand jury and that there won't be an indictment. It just meant that they wanted to take their time with it. I think there are a lot of us that are, I hear you, but I think there are a lot of us who are having like Trayvon Martin flashbacks where we yeah. know, for example, that uh, what was required was a movement to get the minimal movement, uh, literally in the legal realm. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, there are people like me who kind of believe that decisions about whether or not self-defense is accurate is are, belongs in the jury's hands, especially when a 13-year-old is dead. Uh, but you know, I, I hear that you might be it, it might be coming up with a different court really quickly. I do want to let my panel have a quick second to ask any questions that they might uh, have before we move on. Uh, I'm going to start with Dr. Nichols. <clears throat> So thank you, thank you for coming on, um, Attorney Brave Boy. Um, my question is, 
is there are the, is there any recourse after a grand jury if a grand jury uh decides not to bring charges, does that mean that trying to bring charges later would be double jeopardy? Double jeopardy doesn't uh, really attach at the grand jury level, but it is um, more challenging for a prosecutor to bring charges if a grand jury uh, doesn't vote to indict. Now, it could be that additional uh, information is made available, additional evidence is made available after, let's say, the initial presentation to the grand jury. And so there may be then a reason to bring the case back before a grand jury. But remember, the grand jury is made up of residents, citizen voters, those who have a vested interest in the community. And so it is um, tough if the grand jury votes not to indict to then bring a case back before them. But if the prosecutor believes that there was additional evidence or perhaps the evidence wasn't presented uh, the right way to the grand jury, then, of course, uh, prosecutors always have that discretion to uh, present a case more than once to a grand jury. But that the fact that a uh, an initial grand jury voted not to indict uh, would be a part of the record. And so that, again, would present challenges at trial. Uh, however, um, I think Again, I think the goal, though, of every prosecutor's office is to make really good, smart decisions as quickly as possible. But in some cases, I'm not talking about this case, but in some cases, it does take time in order to collect all of the evidence, weigh the law, and make a decision on whether or not and how, and really how to present some cases to a grand jury, especially when there may be a claim of self-defense. And again, I'm not making any judgments in this case. This case was horrible. Uh, you know, I certainly hope that the family does get justice. Absolutely. But I'm just kind of going through the process of, of what prosecutors think uh, when they're evaluating a case. Teresa. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, this case is obviously a little bit more difficult um, for me as, you know, I'm always thinking about our younger generation and, you know, what the family is actually going through. So just for clarity purposes, if you know, um, I think I saw an article where it says the, the Mr. Butler, the 36-year-old uh, suspect, he actually uh, ran away from the scene and yet he claimed uh, self-defense. Um, can you maybe elaborate how is that even possible and how self-defense is still even part of the prosecution's uh, notion for not going to the grand jury? So the self-defense claim or the, the defense of self-defense really looks at the time that the, uh, the act uh, was made. Did the person reasonably believe that their life was in danger or a life of another was in danger? And that's typically uh, the, the the what what we're looking at, what we're evaluating. Um, and sometimes it is unreasonable, which means that you might think it's self-defense, but it really isn't because you acted unreasonably. Um, and in some cases, uh, an individual may may have acted reasonably under the circumstances. The fact that uh, the individual ran away could show consciousness of guilt. And so should this case move forward to a trial and that issue comes up of whether or not self-defense was a viable claim in this case, the fact that the individual uh, fled uh, 
maybe shows what that individual was thinking at the time. Again, I don't know all of the facts of this case. I think probably none of us in the public uh, know everything about this case. But what I can say is that as a prosecutor, my number one job right now would be uh, to, to make a decision. And I have to stand behind whatever decision I make. But the public needs uh, to have confidence in their prosecutor's office. They have to believe that the prosecutor's office is there for everyone and that the prosecutor will be fair and impartial and courageous and take cases that may not please everyone, but but is pleasing to the cause of justice. And so uh, I'm, my hope is that the prosecutor will make a decision uh, as quickly as possible so that the community at least knows what direction this case is moving in. And Dr. Malvo. Aisha, good to see you. Happy New Year. Um, Happy my concern with all of this is prosecutorial discretion. In other words, had the roles been reversed, and of course this is all speculative, but had roles been reversed and this was a black man who had shot a white child and a white prosecutor, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. I think the case would just have been dismissed. They don't, you know, no, would not have been dismissed, but rather would have been charged. The race, the current racial climate, in my opinion, gives prosecutors way too much discretion. You are a prosecutor. Tell me about that. And how, what can we do to po police the prosecutors? Well, we, you have to hold your prosecutors accountable. But again, let me just say this. The burden of the prosecutor is to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. So when you say that a uh, the prosecutor dismissed the case, the prosecutor determined in this case, at least at this time, uh, it appears that they've determined that they don't have enough to move forward beyond a reasonable doubt and get past that hurdle. And remember, not only do they have to get past a jury ultimately, but they have to get past motions that, that are going to be filed by the defense counsel. So when you do indict a case like this, where there may be a self-defense claim, um, you really have to do, uh, you know, significant evaluation, really weigh the evidence, and then make a decision make a decision. Um, and so uh, the fact that a case was dismissed really wasn't, it is, is happens when um, a, a prosecutor decides not to indict within a certain window. Usually it's 30 days. So if a case is not indicted within a, the 30-day window, then uh, the case will be dismissed the felonies will be dismissed because the 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 municipal court in this case or district court in the case of you know Maryland um, is not the suitable court to adjudicate such a case, and so you can't adjudicate adju excuse me adjudicate a felony murder case in district court or in municipal court. It has to go to the circuit court, which means it has to be indicted, or in the case of Maryland, we can send cases by criminal information. And so that is, the again, the burden of the prosecutor to say, okay, I feel like I have enough to present to a grand jury and I can prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. That's an awesome burden. So I don't believe that we've heard the last of this case. I believe that the uh, prosecutor must be held accountable. I believe that the prosecutor must understand the urgency, the fierce urgency of now, but the prosecutor also has to be diligent. The prosecutor also can't be swayed by public opinion. They have to do the work. But my, my recommendation to my colleague there is to do the work as quickly as possible. 
Yeah, so, well, we hope that that person does, but you're exactly right also, Dr. Malvo. This is a clear example of discretion because one, two people can look at the very same evidence and come up with different interpretations of that evidence, which then would relate to whether or not one decides to move forward with the belief that they can prove a case with the, without, um, you know, with reasonable doubt um, standard met. So I think that's really what she's, and if, if in this county, um, district attorneys are um, elected, that's one way in which they can be held accountable. Uh, with that said, thank you so much for joining us, Attorney Braveboy. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll be right back on Roland Martin at Unfiltered right after this message. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. 
an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. This is Judge Matthews. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Mac Wiles, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. disappeared from her Alexandria, Virginia home on New Year's Day. The 15-year-old is 4 foot 11 inches tall, weighs 68 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. She was last seen on January 1st, 2023, wearing a black coat and black sweatpants. Anyone with information about Jemiah Birch is urged to call the Alexandria, Virginia Police Department at 703-746-4444. A viral video out of New York shows police allowing Proud Boys to enter the subway without paying while counter-protesters are stopped. Take a look at this video. To pay for the fare? No, Proud special. Boys don't have to pay, pay for the we're fare? special, thank you. You don't have to pay for the fare? Appreciate wow. it from your tax. Proud Boys don't have to pay for the fare? No, thank you. That is insane. Proud Boys don't have to pay for the fare? Three dollars. I'm sorry, I just need you to go out. Oh, I have to pay for the fare, but they don't? Right. Is that the situation you're saying? That's correct. Well, if you ever want to wonder what happened on January 6th, you might want to look at the relationship between those two entities. Um, but the police department has not released any public statement about that incident. Okay. Uh, in Georgia, a statue of the late civil rights icon, Representative John Lewis, will be erected in his former Georgia congressional district, where a monument to the Confederacy once stood. Sculptor Basil Watson will design and create a monument to be placed at the historic Decatur House Courthouse uh, in the district Lewis served for 17 consecutive terms. The statue will honor Lewis's legacy and provide a symbol of inclusivity, equality, and justice. 
where the Confederate monument stood for more than 100 years. Lewis was the son of sharecroppers, survived a brutal beating by police during the landmark 1965 march in Selma, Alabama, and went on to become an icon of the civil rights movement. Lewis died in July 2020 at the age of 80. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, and we'll be right back. I love directing. It's a different kind of piece. I do believe that the 30 years I was acting was to prepare me for what I'm supposed to be doing and that what I'm really am good at. But when you were acting, were you even thinking about directing? No. Nope. Were, were you? So what the hell happened? If you had asked me 15 years ago, I probably would have said, no, I don't know. I was doing Ava's, uh, Ava DuVernay's first film, I Will Follow. Mm -hmm. And during that process, I think, because it was her first film, maybe she I- She self-taught. Absolutely. I probably gave too many suggestions. And at some point, <laughs> Ava said to me, I think you're a director and you don't know it. in black culture. You're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037 dash 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackest. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. President Joe Biden is set to commemorate the 160th anniversary of President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. To mark the 160th anniversary of the proclamation, which was issued on January 1, 1863, Biden will use the week to highlight the progress and the need to push for more change. Biden is moving following a push among conservative groups to change how slavery is taught in American schools. Today, the United States government has not officially apologized for the enslavement of African-Americans. H.R. 40 of the Commission to Study and Develop Reparations Proposals for African-Americans Act is set to be introduced to the new 118th Congress this year. So I'd like to sort of toss to the panel to see your thoughts on this specific commemoration of the Emancipation Proclamation and, and with the context of once again, bringing up this issue of reparations, which uh, unfortunately seems to be brought up uh, annually or every, with every new Congress, only to go absolutely nowhere. Uh, Dr. Malvo, your thoughts on this commemoration? 
Well, first of all, thank you for touching on the subject. As you know, I am a member of the National African American Reparations Commission, and we've been pushing very hard for President Biden to issue an executive order. What we found in the last Congress, we, we knew we didn't have the votes in the Senate, um, and we knew that it would be very close to the, in the Congress. Sheila Jackson Lee has been, uh, I can't say enough about how amazing she's been in pushing this issue. You know, Congressman Conyers began to introduce the issue of reparations, H.R. 40, in um, 19—I want to say 89, I could be off a couple years—19, and introduced it every session of Congress mm -hmm. since then. But people do not want to deal with this issue, and we must. We hear—I don't know how many times we talk about the wealth gap. The wealth gap is a function of enslavement. Mm -hmm. We just got finished talking about guns. A lot of what happens to our people is a function of enslavement. It's not just apologizing. Of course, we'd like the ap apology, but once you apologize, you have to do something about it. Uh -huh. And what we really want to be done about it is reparations. And H.R. 40 has evolved since Congressman Conyers introduced it. It lays out a process for studying what should happen. You know, there's a lot of debate. Here in California, of course, I'm not in California now, but whatever. In California, there's a reparations commission um, that Dr. Cheryl Grills is on, and they're doing some work. They've reduced, re, uh, produced a 500-word, 500-page uh, report that's voluminous that really talks about the wrong that happened in California. This has to happen all over the, all over the nation. Uh, we have to have what belongs to us, and we have to have it boldly, not apologetically. And Avis, let me just say. To talk about how to reteach enslavement, you have these, I said it's the caucasity of ignorance, mm -hmm. where you know, you have people who say enslavement was not that bad. Well, hell yeah, it was bad. Not only was it bad, but it, if, for, if not for enslaved people, there would be no United States. There'd be no White House. There'd be no capital. There would be no industry. There would be no stock market. There would be no bond market. Don't get me started, Junior. You got me on my subject. And all you got to do is wind me up. But it, it's time. <laughs> it's not time. It is over time for us to have ours. Folks, write your congressperson. Tell them. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Please support HR 40. Dr. Nichols, this it seems like a particularly interesting moment in history to have this anniversary arrive because, you know, we are in this moment and when you have so much right-wing sort of contextualizing of critical race theory as this big bad boogeyman, really as a ruse for them to be able to push through legislation and other things to basically take truth-telling out of history in schools all across this nation. Um, What are your thoughts around really where are we in this space right now? Because I don't see a counter to the whole critical race theory, right wing taking over school boards, doing all that they're doing. And at the same time, we're also still not seeing movement with regards even studying, even studying the possibilities of reparations, much less issuing an apology. Well, I think you're definitely not going to get an apology, certainly not out of this Congress, if we look at the fact that, you know, you may have Kevin McCarthy as speaker, you've got uh, Republicans taking over the House, they can't even decide whether they believe in democracy and elections. So you're not going to get an apology, because an apology, of course, is the precursor to repair and reparations. And, and, you know, for all of the arguments that people make against reparations, we got to remember People say, well, you know, they're not a, you know, the people who were wronged are not alive. Um, when we look at the United States has given reparations to people who, whom the United States itself did not harm. Uh, if, if you want to look at 9-11, we didn't perpetrate 9-11, but we still paid reparations to the victims. If you look at the, the Iranian hostages, we still paid reparations to those people, not Iran, the United States. So, and, and big money at that. Um, I think there's no question. Uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, the United States has avoided the subject of reparations for a long time, and they're going to continue to re- uh, to avoid it. Uh, you, all those Democrats who got up there and and got on a stage and said, "Oh, I support HR 40." Where are they now? We don't hear them. We don't hear their voices. And that includes, in, in, to a certain extent, in court, unless uh, Professor Malvo has, has heard something that I haven't, that includes Joe Biden, that includes uh, Pete Buttigieg and, and all of these people up there, and, and even uh, Vice President Harris. We haven't heard their voices come forward on this. And I'm hoping that this time around that they actually do step up and say, we can at least study the issue. That's what H.R. 40 is. It's not reparations. It's calling for the study of reparations, 
But again, when you know that you're guilty or you know that, you know, what the outcome is, of course you don't want to study it. Of course you don't want to look into more depth. Uh, you already know what the answer is. Um, so we're not going to, I think, again, this is going to be another Congress where we, uh, where nothing happens. Um, I'm hoping, you know, for Professor Malvo and her and that group to be able to get President Biden to issue an executive order, but I'm not even holding my breath for that. Um, I think in terms of education, I'll just say this. Um, first of all, that's not critical race theory that they're talking about. It's just like you said, it's just talking about truth and, and uh, truthful accounts of history. And one of the things that we need to do is that black people need to start showing up to these school board meetings. We can't let it be overrun with misinformed and pe misinformed people and people who want to cause trouble and, and want to take true history out of our education system. If you look, actually, there was an article recently that said that complaints of discrimination in schools is up in 2022. And I think there's a direct correlation to the fact that there's been all this pushback to teaching history after the so-called racial reckoning we had in 2020. So I, I think we need to start showing up and making our voices heard about this. I know we've got tons of different issues, but Malcolm said, um, you know, that you cannot uh, allow, I'm sorry, I'm blanking, but the, the main thing is educating your children is incredibly important. It certainly oh, is. Only a fool would allow his children to be educated by his enemy. I apologize. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Worth the wait. Absolutely. Uh, Teresa, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, is this just, in essence, it's good to have him have this week where he's going to acknowledge, but, and, and you know, I'm not going to disparage that. It's definitely worth acknowledgement. Uh, but what do you think that we can do as a community to make sure that we get some traction around really getting some true acknowledgement and protection of our history, not just on the federal level with whatever is going to happen this week, but literally at that state and local level where we know that our history is under attack? Well, yeah, congratulations to the Biden-Harris administration uh, on, again, acknowledgement. I think half the battle is when we looked at Trump's administration, we got no acknowledgement. We received no interest in figuring out how to unify. And so I think, you know, as we look towards our state and local communities and some of the elected officials uh, therein that are making some of these local laws and these adjustments, as we particularly talk about what freedom actually looks like and how we actually think about, um, you know, the 1960s and um, what enslaved moments that our parents and grandparents have had. I think we need to start looking at some of those current policies and procedures that are currently guiding the next generation. I'm all for reparations, but it just has to make sense. We're currently in a country that is in a deficit. Uh, we, you know, barely have resources here on the state or local level. Federal government, you know, is not um, matriculating the, the amount of funds when it even came to American Rescue Act that it was supposed to in some of these states. So we're not seeing it in communities. But I do think there is a, a broader and a more sensible plan that could be done. There are elections that are taking place every 
year in some of um, the counties, well, every two years, but more so in some of these neighborhoods and counties, where I think we need to bring upon um, these type of suggestions and these types of um, interested um, uh, issues that are interesting to our communities in order for us to flourish. And so half the battle is, is making sure when these people are running for public office is that they have our full intent um, and, and they have, you know, this in mind. So when we're talking about what the next budget looks like, when we talk about where resources need to be allocated, look at some of these committees and some of these individuals. Because, you know, again, recognizing is half the battle. But one, when we start to look at what action actually looks like to um, make, a, make a new win for a new generation, that's when we need to start looking at ourselves. Absolutely. On other news, President Joe Biden pardons six people while vacationing in St. Croix. The, par the pardons were granted to Beverly Ann Iben Tamus, Charles Burns Jackson, John Dix Nock III, Gary Parks Davids, uh, Edward Lincoln Dakota III, and Vincente Ray Flores. All have helped their communities after serving sentences of murder, drug, or alcohol-related crimes. Biden is taking a stance on low-level crime and its negative impact on families. A few months earlier, Biden pardoned thousands of people convicted of simple marijuana possession and commuted the sentences of 75. Biden supported the 1994 crime bill and said people are right to question his past stance on crime, but urged people to look at what he's doing now. Going back to you, Teresa, what are your thoughts about that? We know that during the uh, election, he got a lot of heat. Uh, from the black community and many of those on the left with regards to his um, authoring uh, of the crime bill and the implications of that. Uh, but now that he's in office, he does seem to be quite active uh, with these pardons, uh, specifically as it relates to uh, things like the marijuana possession, commuting of sentences, huge in terms of pardoning thousands of people at a time. I mean, these are great. These are what um, some of these national organizations like Reform Alliance uh, happen to be talking about. They wanted, you know, uh, our our administration to do something for these people since now it seems like we're legalizing some of uh, these issues, i.e. marijuana and cannabis and now selling it on the black market um, and in retail stores and calling it um, TBD. So, I mean, so I'm very happy that this is um, happening. Um, I'm sure they're doing their due diligence to figure out the best ways. But let's also remember in the last administration, um, towards the last days, everybody was getting a pardon. Um, and, you know, individuals was getting out that we were trying to figure out how was this even possible. So I'm glad that they're doing it in this administration. I'm sure they're going through it with a fine tooth comb. Um, but, you know, we have to use the power of the pen. If we say we believe in second chances, let's give second chances and allow these people to have it. Um, I, I don't think something should be a life sentence, but I do think, um, you know, with the, with the right due diligence, uh, then, you know, it'll make sense. Absolutely. And, and when you think about it, oftentimes we see this volume of, of pardons, as you mentioned, like towards the end of an administration, the fact that this has happened so early in his administration makes you wonder what might be to come. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Malvo? Well, I'm excited about these pardons, and it suggests to me that the Justice Department is doing their work. We don't, the people just don't get pardoned like there's a pardon. Usually there's a process that they get people look at their record, what their incarceration record was, um, they do all of that. So it seems to me that there's somebody in the Justice 
Department, some division of the Justice Department, taking this seriously. This is important. There are people who have um, been in jail for decades behind a, a joint. Well, not a joint, but maybe a whole bunch of them. But they have been in jail for decades for that kind of thing, and it's unjust. And so I'm happy to see the Biden administration doing this. I wish, however, they would turn. I'm happy that they're doing it. There's so much that needs to be done. I would lean back to just one second to reparations, to lift up the local reparations movement. Uh, the fact that many towns and cities are basically looking into doing reparations locally before us, so they have the state Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Michigan has the first local reparation legislation that it is being Dr. Malvo, unfortunately, we are having some sort of problem with your audio, and it's hard for us to, to hear you. Hopefully, we can come back to you in, in a minute. Um, but Dr. Nichols, in the meantime, would you like to uh, share your thoughts on this issue? Yeah, so first, uh, I want to say something about Joe Biden's past. I think, um, first of all, in all fairness, the 94 crime bill is sometimes misunderstood. Uh, it, it was not the primary driver of mass in, uh, incarceration uh, that many people think it was. 
And it was very politically difficult to vote against it because it, it was a huge omnibus bill, and it included things like the Violence Against Women Act. So uh, you can imagine voting against the Violence Against Women Act. Now, it did have really problematic parts of it, but a lot of those actually were things that Joe Biden didn't push for. So uh, three strikes, that was Bill Clinton who pushed for, for three strikes. Joe Biden actually called that, quote, wacko. So it wasn't necessarily Joe Biden. Now, Joe Biden's voting record uh, ha is not great, particularly when you talk about the thing that did cause mass incarceration, which is the uh, 1986 Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which he also voted for. He didn't author it, but he voted for it. Um, so he has a, a mixed past, but I, I think he also deserves you know, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And we see that he is making good decisions uh, in terms of his pardons, not just pardoning his friends or famous people, but actual, uh, you know, people who have, you know, who deserve pardons, who have, who have uh, paid debts to society if there was one, and uh, are actually making good in society. I'll, I'll also just say one thing about going back to the reparations uh, issue is, um, you know, there are experts that say that $20 billion will end homelessness. And we know, talking about California, uh, they, we know that they have a homelessness issue. And there are experts that say, literally, just $20 billion. And, ex and, you know, our government oftentimes says, we don't have the money, we don't have the money, we don't have the money. And then Russia attacked Ukraine. And I'm not against funding Ukraine, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I understand the need for it. But hundreds of billions of dollars have fallen from the sky, and we all of a sudden have the money. And, and there were a lot of states who didn't spend money on the American—didn't spend the money that they were given from the American Rescue Act. So I think that to say that we don't have the money, um, I think America's always going to make that excuse. I'm not convinced. Uh, when things shut down, trillions of dollars appeared. Um, I think America has the money. Um, and certainly to investigate what it would take to look at reparations. Not necessarily, you know, if it, it may come down to not being feasible, but it should certainly at the very least be investigated. Mm -hmm. and, and Dr. Malvo, I think we have your audio issue repaired. Um, would you like to take up that point? Absolutely. I appreciate the point that was just made about money. I really, Teresa was going to jump in and debate you about there's not enough money because I think that's utter nonsense. But let's, let's just be clear. H.R. 40 is not a bill that's only going to study reparations. H.R. 40 is also a remedy bill. The commission that is assembled will study the harm that was done to black people and then make suggestions about remedies, remedies to that harm. So it's not just going to be a bunch of eggheads sitting in the room studying. We will be looking at, and I would say we because the commission will be uh, uh, presidentially appointed and congressionally appointed if the legislation passes as it is. If it does not pass as it is, we want President Biden to do an executive order. And he can do that with a stroke of a pen. Now, he may find it politically risky, but it is only right. And as Jason said, you know, people always say we don't have enough money. Well, folks find money when they want to. And let's not talk about the money that was just authorized for military spending. Let's not talk about that, Teresa, when you talk about all the money that we have. We do not need all that money for our military.
Absolutely. One would say oftentimes that um, budgets are the just the articulation of priorities, and this is an example of that, I would argue. Um, but thanks for your perspectives. Uh, you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network, and we'll be right back. impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you, but you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. The Supreme Court is back in session. God help us all. It is no exaggeration to say that this current session could completely reshape this country and redirect our future for generations to come, and not in a good way. We invite Dr. Valethea Watkins and Professor Angela Porter, our legal roundtable, back to the show to put it all in perspective. That's on the next Black Table. Please don't miss it, right here on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Goodmartin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Hey, I'm Amber Stevens-West. I'm Avery Sunshine. So this is Roger Bob. I got a message for Roland Mascot. Oh, I'm sorry, Ascot Martin. Buddy, you're supposed to be hooking me up with some of these mascots. I'm sorry, ascots that you claim to wear. Where's mine, buddy? Where's mine? That's all I got to say to you, okay? Mascot, goodbye. Hi, this is Essence Atkins, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. A former Minneapolis police officer is charged with assaulting a man during a George Floyd protest. Former officer Justin Stetson is accused of repeatedly punching, kicking, and kneeing Jalil Stallings in the head and face while on the ground. Stallings suffered a fractured eye socket. Stetson could face up to five years in prison, a $10,000 fine, or both penalties if convicted. Democrats are adding another midterm election victory in Arizona. After a tense election recount, Arizona Democrat Trump-backed election denier Republican Abraham Hamaday as Arizona's next attorney general. He was defeated, right? The recount results were announced Thursday in Maricopa County Superior Court and were one of the state's closest elections. A Charlotte, North Carolina woman is among the 26 who died in last week's major snowstorm. Andell Taylor was trapped in her car for 18 hours after getting caught in the historic 50-inch blizzard. 
Taylor called 911, but first responders were unable to reach her. She contacted 911 again when they lost all communication with her. Emergency responders made two failed attempts to find Taylor. After a third attempt, they discovered her still in her car. The family asks for answers about the city's response to the winter storm. In a news conference yesterday, Erie County Executive Mark Polencars called the city of Buffalo's response embarrassing. Take a look at this. County have come in and taken over operations. I know the mayor's not going to be happy to hear it, but we took over an entire segment, one third of the city of Buffalo, because we knew that we could get in there and clean it very quickly. The state is basically doing the same thing with equipment from other areas. Uh, I've already had discussions with my staff about what it would take for the county to take over all snow, uh, snow cleaning operations in the future. Uh, and now I've had that discussion with New York State as well because I think it's apparent that it's time for it to happen, or at least a discussion on the future. Mayor's not going to be happy to hear about it, but storm after storm after storm after storm, the city, unfortunately, is the last one to be opened, and that shouldn't be the case. It's embarrassing, to tell you the truth. This new GOP-controlled Congress is set to convene tomorrow as uncertainty looms over the House Speaker. The House and Senate met this afternoon to mark the start of the 118th Congress. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy is vying for the speaker's gavel after winning the nomination in a GOP closed-door vote in November. His party challenged McCarthy with nine House Republicans drafting a letter opposing his leadership. Late in the afternoon of New Year's Eve, Kevin McCarthy gave his first comprehensive written response to proposals offered in good faith on December 8th to articulate key values we believe must be championed and led by any candidate for a Speaker of the House. Mr. McCarthy's title, Restoring the People's House and Ending Business as Usual, is a welcome and telling admission of the longstanding and deep dysfunction of the House of Representatives and statement of aspiration to begin set it right in, to begin to set it right uh, in the 118th Congress. Regrettably, however, despite some progress achieved, Mr. McCarthy's statement comes almost impossibly late to address continued deficiencies ahead of the opening of the 118th Congress of January 3rd. At this stage, it cannot be a surprise that expressions of vague hopes regarding in favor reflected in far too many of the crucial points still under debate are insufficient. This is especially true with respect to Mr. McCarthy's candidacy for speaker, because the times call for radical departure from the status quo, not a continuation of past and ongoing Republican failures. For someone with a 14-year presence in senior House Republican leadership, Mr. McCarthy bears squarely the burden to correct the dysfunction he now explicitly admits across the long tenure. Thus far, there continue to be missing specific commitments with respect to virtually every component of our entrees, and thus no means to measure whether promises are kept or broken. Moreover, some in the Republican conference have expressed that absent universal support for Mr. McCarthy, they will reject even the progress made to date regarding rules and changes to bill text availability, single subject and germaneness requirements, and other structural changes for the good of the body and every member. Mr. McCarthy's statement also continues to propose to restrict the availability of the traditional motion to vacate the chair as a means of holding leadership accountable uh, to its promises. We have, from the beginning, made clear that we will not accept following Nancy Pelosi's examples by insulting leadership this way. Uh, we also note that the statement fails to completely uh, address the issue of leadership working to defeat conservatives in open primaries. The progress made thus far has been helpful and should guide our thinking forward. 
With 47 new members of Congress getting sworn in on Tuesday, it is unclear if McCarthy will have the 218 votes needed to win Tuesday's House vote, uh, floor vote. Uh, so, you know, what's interesting to me, Dr. Malvo, is that Kevin McCarthy has longed, longed to be Speaker of the House for years and years and years. And just when it's within his grasp, all hell is breaking loose in his party, and he doesn't even know if he's going to be able to finally get it. Uh, in fact, the, the most craziest of wackos in the party are still coalescing against him. You know, what do you think of his chances of actually becoming Speaker of the House? Well, Avis, I think that if this man cannot become Speaker, it's very likely that our Congress will be ungovernable because you have the spectrum of Republicans for the crazy crazies, the Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Bobarts uh, of the world, that they take crazy juice for breakfast and then just spout out. Uh, but they, they're very conservative and they're very powerful and they have a base. So McCarthy seems to be losing his base uh, with 10 of them saying they won't vote for him. What are they going to do? And he can't seem to—I mean, I will say he can't seem to. What else can he compromise? He's already agreed to some kind of vote that if they, in the middle of his term, say, you got to go, that you then have to go. I mean, that does not make any sense to me at all. But that's what, that's what he's compromised on. So he's wanted this position, as you said, he's wanted it so bad he could taste it, put ketchup on it, and just enjoy it. <laughs> he has really wanted this thing. And it's, it does not—it looks like it's unraveling in front of him. The one person they keep saying is a pos possible alternative, equally conservative, uh, a little more popular is Stephen Scalise from Louisiana. Uh, we'll remember him from having been shot uh, with the congressional baseball game. Um, but I'm not sure that they, at this point, I'm just begging moderate Republicans, can y'all just take your party back? Can you please just take your party back? Because literally, <laughs> we won't get any legislation out of Congress if those fools continue to do what they're doing. Oh, my goodness. Teresa, so, you know, what the hell is going on in the House right now? I mean, it, 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 is, it is absolutely crazy. As Dr. Malvo laid out, you have the, the you really have the crazies running the insane asylum, it looks like right now. Uh, and the moment that, you know, Steve Scalise looks like a reasonable person, you know that stuff has gone way too far. So, you know, what do you think is happening right now in terms of what's, the, what's on tap for uh, the speaker position? And I'm wondering, you know, because this is something that the entire House votes on, do the Democrats have any power in choosing which Republican is going to be the next Speaker of the House? And if so, how should they wield it? These are all really good questions. And as we look at an episode of one of these college parties that's happening right in Congress, um, it is chaos. And I think there is an opportunity for Kevin McCarthy to still reel these people in. I think he's been doing a whole bunch of backdoor conversations, even though the um, radical right um, is doing—they're um, just doing social. But, I, you know, I think Democrats do, you know, have an opportunity if they, you know, want to get things passed is to figure out how to, you know, consult with some of their Republican and bipartisan um, colleagues and really figure out, 
you know, how do we keep Kevin McCarthy, you know, as, as House Speaker? Um, yes, when we have Scalise, you know, as an even name mentioned, name drop, it just kind of tells you, you know, where the Republican Party is. And it's, it's really just showing that they really don't have another option. So Kevin McCarthy is likely to be the next uh, Speaker of the House. But it is an opportunity for Democrats to really work across the aisle and say, listen, we don't want to turn back. We have been listening to the Biden-Harris administration when we talk about unification and really building that bridge. And part of it is, is making sure that Kevin is in and making sure that they can actually have conversation and real dialogues. Not sure if it's going to produce much, but it'll at least produce uh, as much as we can for the American people today. Well, Dr. Nichols, you know, say that McCarthy makes it in. Is he going to have any power? I mean, at this point, he has promised everything but his firstborn to these folks to get in that position. Uh, he definitely has already sort of stripped away some power in terms of the, the, the fool's bargain that he's making in order to get there. Uh, what's the point of having a position if you really don't have the power that's necessary to will the full breadth of it once you're in the seat? Well, I, first of all, I, I agree with Teresa that he's, he's going to get in eventually. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. He may not get in on the first vote. 
And some of the crazies have already come over, like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is one of the reasons why he's been so quiet on the George Santos debacle that's been going on is because he knows George Santos has already said that he will support him. So, of course, he won't call him out on all his lies about Pulse nightclub and uh, the Holocaust, his, his relatives surviving the Holocaust and all the ridiculous lies that he's told. Um, I think, you know, Kevin McCarthy's going to get in. And I, and I think this is kind of funny because I used to go on a couple of conservative networks and they would always bring it up the fact that Democrats can't get their their caucus in order. They're, you know, they're disagreeing all the time. They would talk about Nancy Pelosi versus the squad. And it was never this bad uh, for Democrats who are supposedly the big tent party as it is right now for Republicans. I think he'll be able to get Republicans in on a few things. They're going to, you know, talk about the origins of COVID, which we'll never find out because the Chinese are not going to cooperate. But they're going to berate Dr. Fauci, uh, you know, all of the crazy investigations that they're going to go into with Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's laptop. He'll be able to get them all together on that. But as far as passing meaningful legislation, I don't think he's going to do that. And I'm not so sure that these Republicans actually are concerned with meaningful legislation. They're concerned only with, uh, you know, a, a crap show on social media and that they can put on Fox News and, and uh, you know, talk about, you know, Hunter Biden and showing Hunter Biden naked in his nudes. Uh, that's pretty much what they're concerned with. Um, I think that this is like I, I think somebody said it was a clown show or a clown car, and and that's exactly what it is. And they've got a very slim margin, so I think Democrats and Hakeem Jeffries they have a really good opportunity if they're in dis if the Republicans are in disarray to kind of sway a couple of those moderates over uh, to pass a, a few things that could uh, get through. That's an excellent um, point. Excellent point, because, you know, if the Republicans are in disarray, they in disarray, okay? They are fully in disarray. And, you know, the point that you made a minute ago was right on point as well with regards to how oftentimes historically people would talk about how the Democratic Party was, you know, couldn't get their act together. You know why it was never this bad? Because uh, former Speaker Pelosi was a leader and she understood how to lead and she understood how to get people in line. Uh, when you look at McCarthy, he is honestly, for lack of a better term, a punk, right? And he's allowing the crazies to lead him. And so I'm just sitting here ready for the bag of popcorn because this is going to be very, very interesting looking at them trying to do anything in terms of running the country in the House because just beyond what you just mentioned in terms of the, the sort of the pseudo investigations that they want to have, the illicit discussions that they want to have around Hunter Biden, um, in terms of actual substance, I think what we can expect is next to nothing, unfortunately. So looking at this issue of, though, black women in the workplace, another story that came up this week that I'd love your, your perspectives on, you know, it's interesting to see that as the year begins, most people are, you know, obviously reevaluating their careers. They're thinking about what they want to do next, new year, new you, that sort of situation. Well, black women have been making strides in the entrepreneurial space, as we know, uh, as the fastest growing subset of business owners uh, for years, actually. However, in corporate America, black women continue to struggle. Uh, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, black women comprise nearly 7% of the workforce, 
but are severely underrepresented in leadership positions. Uh, despite black women enrolling in college at higher rates than men, only two are Fortune 500 CEOs. Uh, LinkedIn released research that sheds lights on why black women are leaving the corporate workforce, and the majority left because of the lack of mobility, discrimination, and mental health. Wow, not surprised at all, unfortunately. Uh, there have been a few notable deaths. Oh, I'm sorry, before I move on, let me ask you guys, what do you think we need to do? Because, you know, this is not a new issue, literally. I wrote a book on this a few years ago. Um, what can we do to make sure that whatever is happening in the workforce that has kept and continues to hold black women back, despite their qualifications, despite their abilities, uh, despite their ambition, um, Still, there it seems to be a toxic work environment there, which is causing many of them to leave the, the workforce altogether. What can be done by organizations who like to claim or feign this idea of, you know, wanting to move towards inclusivity, diversity, equity, inclusion, but when it comes to putting the rubber to the road with regards to creating really inclusive environments specifically for black women, uh, they seem to still not be getting it right. Uh, Dr. Malvo, what are your suggestions to companies who are really serious about making, about being more fair to black women in the workplace? First of all, I don't think that many of them actually are interested in being more fair. It's probably not fair for me to say, but I'm looking at our racial environment right now. I'm looking at the backlash we've seen post-George Floyd. And then I'm looking at what's going on right now in the corporate workplace. So several of our late largest corporations have said they're going to do uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands, of layoffs. I won't recall the role of the companies, but uh, remember who's most vulnerable when those kind of layoffs take place. Even if a sister has seniority, you know, the toxic corporate workplace, and you studied it, I've studied it, it is very toxic, cliquish. It's, um, there, there are just so many words we can use. It's anti-feminist, it's misogynistic. Some of the things that corporate sisters are experiencing, even today, I mean, we're talking about 2022. We're not talking about 1968, when some of the legislation was passed. Some of the things that people have to experience are, are, are unspeakable, almost. In addition, we have these corporations. More than $50 billion was pledged by corporate America after the death of George Floyd. But that $50 billion did not go to change anything, really. Only about $5 billion went for that. The rest of it, many of the banks offered people mortgages. Well, they're going to make money off the mortgages. So that's not a gift. That's a good business. I think that we there are laws. EEOC has laws. I'm not sure. We, EEOC needs to have teeth, and they need to basically uh, enforce the laws. But that's easier said than done when you have some of these corporate cultures that don't even encourage people to uh, basically shine the light on it. Some people are afraid to speak up about what happens in the workplace because they don't want to be blackballed. And mm -hmm. there are brothers and sisters who have been blackballed from corporate America simply because they stood up for themselves. So the report is not surprising nor alarming, but it does raise lots of questions. And the sisters who are leaving, you know, I hope that they're going to do entrepreneurship. One of the things I always say about corporate America, you can learn a lot in corporate America. Now that you've learned it, leave them and use it to help your people. And I'm not saying everybody should leave. We've had some very impactful black women, but when the when the environment becomes intolerable, do not stress yourself or kill yourself, because that is what has happened to so many of our sisters. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Nichols, when, when we think about 
um, the shift in our society um, post George Floyd, you know, protests, we've seen a huge pendulum swing, right? Where there seems to be this whole backlash that have taken many forms. We talked about earlier this, this, this push against quote unquote critical race theory, which really isn't critical race theory in terms of uh, elementary and secondary education. Uh, we, we know about the reality of the, the rise in hate crimes and the rise in hate groups. Um, doesn't it make sense that that type of toxic culture would filter down everywhere, including corporate America? Absolutely. Um, I think there's even a connection you could go to the rise of, of the so-called manosphere, where black women are constantly berated for being successful. Um, so I, I think that there's absolutely a connection to the larger society and the direction that we're headed in terms of race and gender. And I think, you know, if, if a corporation wants to uh, be inclusive, then they should have woman-friendly policies. They should have childcare available. Um, there should be, you know, uh, kind of like a, a lot of other institutions in America, you move up or you move out. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people who would take that deal. But I also think that at the same time, uh, black women moving out, starting their own co corporations, their, their own companies, and, and going into the entrepreneurial space, I think it's important that that's good for the entire community. So I'm I'm 100% if that's what's happening, uh, where women are taking their uh, specialized knowledge and starting their own things instead of just waiting for someone to say that they're worthy of a promotion or worthy of a leadership role. Taking that leadership role, I think, is really really uh, a good thing and an important thing. Um, and hopefully, you know, instead of waiting to, to become the head of some established corporation, creating Fortune 500 companies, um, I think is really important uh, for the future of the community as a whole. So I, I definitely think there's a connection to uh, the problems that we have societally in terms of, uh, you know, massage noir and, and racism and sexism. And I hope that women are finding other ways to, to be successful outside of a structure that's racist and sexist. Absolutely. And you mentioned here the manosphere. I'm just interested in, in you just sort of delving into that a little bit more because it just does seem like you would hope that black women would have a refuge, right, within our community when we are facing what we face as the study lays out here in the workforce. You're hoping that we would have this soft space to land when we come back to our communities. But unfortunately right now there seems to be a much more harsh reality there, uh, specifically within black culture, uh, to me, that seems to be rearing its ugly head right now with regards to um, increased hate, I would argue, towards black women. I mean, what do you think is happening there? Well, first of all, before we even begin this, you know you put me in a position where I'm going to get 100 emails of people calling me a simp and, uh, <laughs> you know, and everything else. Um, but no, I mean, this, this is, you know, something that's growing um, in society. I, I think that there are, you know, a, a lot of people who realize that, you know, they're looking, people are looking for a certain kind of content so that those content creators realize that this is, you know, a way to make money and not thinking about how it's damaging for our communities and for the relationship between black men and black women. And, and if you want to talk about what's caused 
our community to survive and thrive in the midst of a white supremacist and unforgiving society. It is the 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 unity that we've had between black men and black women. And, and I think anything that threatens that is not only bad for us economically, it's bad for us spiritually, it's bad for our families. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's, you know, a, a real problem that I think we have to start to challenge. And, uh, you know, when we have a, a spot in media or somewhere where we can actually speak up and, and speak up for brothers and sisters, it's not like I'm, I'm, you know, for all of the people who are emailing me right now or, or tweeting at me, calling me a simp, I, I, hey, I'm advocating for brothers as well. It's, it's about the unity of black men and black women that's going to drive us forward. Absolutely. And, and Teresa, when we, you're looking at this data and it's showing us, hey, black women are literally catching hell in the workplace. At the same time, we're seeing increased numbers uh, of black women who are starting their own businesses like you have. Um, can you talk a little bit about the relationship there? And do you really and do you also believe, as I do, uh, that when we get to the realization that we see it, no matter how hard we work, no matter how good we are, no matter how degrees, how many degrees we get, we're not going to be treated fairly in those spaces. And so we decide to take our genius and use it to our own benefit. Is, is that what you think is happening here? You know, as I, as I listen to the various opinions here, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about seven years ago when I started my business as a black woman, someone who did work in the House of Representatives, who worked in city council, who also worked in corporate America for 10 years. And so when I started my own business and my own trail, I'm not finding myself going through different situations because I started my own business. I'm still dealing with, you know, uh, the C-suite executives and not being allowed into the room. Mm. Um, it's just happening in a different way. It's just now I'm on my own versus another backing of a big global brand behind me. And so I think, you know, some ways that I think, you know, as women um, in the corporate space, but also in the entrepreneur space can actually try to move beyond it. Because again, it's not easy being an entrepreneur, right? So, you know, sometimes we go to the table with just the task at hand and, and the work. But then when you put your entrepreneurial hat on, you have to go with thinking about your team, thinking about the work and thinking about some of the results of the client, which is a little bit more of a weight than if you worked on in corporate America. So I try to tell folks, you know, you're going to deal with these type of issues where, wherever your direction lies, but it's up to you to find a medium space with an individual who sees the work that you've done. One thing I will always tell, uh, especially my women of color, um, you know, and, and I, again, I have members of my family that's black and brown. No people hate when I say that, but black and brown, um, we go through these same um, um, issues. And, and so when we, as we come to the table, we have to come correct. We have to come with our, our work product um, because we have a, a different type of skill set that no one else really has. If we're talking about DEI and racial equity, we're, we're the ones leading that conversation. And so when we're in the room, we just have to demand it um, a little bit more, but also call it out if we're in the corporate space. I did a lot of that in my 10 years in retail. I called it out when I seen it, um, got some change within it, but then I just got tired of it. But I also learned a lot. I learned a lot of, you want to talk about politics, that's 
that's where you learn your politics and retail. So, um, again, I, I accept all the opinions here, but, you know, it, there's just not really a, a difference if you go in the entrepreneur space. If anything, it's a, it's a bit harder when you're standing alone in that room trying to figure out the best ways that it's not only serving you at this purpose, but you're serving the other members on your team. That's a good point. That's and good and point. if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to delve a little bit more deeply in that because, you know, entrepreneurship is now, you know, it, it is it gives you a different space for you to aim your genius. But you're exactly right. It doesn't make racism and sexism disappear. Right. I mean, those dynamics structurally in our society still exist. So could you sort of um, sort of un unpack a little bit more uh, thoughts around how black women can help themselves a bit by navigating that a little bit more deftly uh, in the entrepreneurship space? Perhaps it's similar dynamics in the corporate space. Do you find that it was similar or do you think it's just it's, it's different challenges depending upon where you are? Well, see, being an entrepreneur, you're uh, able to figure out which client you want to deal with, right? So sure. there are thousands of companies um, and individuals within it that you can decide if, if you see that the racism um, is, is literally head on, then you necessarily don't have to take on that client. So I'm actually able to be in a position where I can say yes or no, right? You can tell after the fifth email, somebody wants to be bothered with you or not. You can also tell if your application is actually going to go through or you can actually tell if you're going to be ignored. You can tell that as a CEO of your company. In a corporate company, you hear about, you know, your your supervisor and the one above them, you know, trickling down the message versus actually bringing you to the office and actually telling you what it is and what you need to get done. So I think I have a more of a direct approach mm -hmm. um, to figuring mm -hmm. out what's best for me and my team. Um, and so I, I always say, you know, as a black woman, as an entrepreneur, um, the, the best way to seeing yourself through any obstacle, one, pray, two, know what you're, know who you're dealing with and know how to deal with them. Um, again, no one can ever uh, stop you from doing what you know you're able to do. Um, you just have to, you know, figure out what's the best approach. And sometimes that best approach is, you know, going around that other person, you know, who you think is the decision maker in order to get it done and just say, listen, I've submitted this proposal, you know, X, Y, and Z is, is, is what we can absolutely do and just see what the results is from that. But again, thousands of companies, millions of partnerships that can happen. So uh, just don't just don't feel like, um, you know, if, if one opportunity doesn't ha happen in your favor, that the next one doesn't. Absolutely. One of my favorite sayings is when they say no, you say next. It's definitely more out there. And we'll continue this discussion right after this break. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you, but you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause 
too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackest. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. There have been a few notable deaths over the weekend. Barbara Walters, the pioneering TV journalist whose interviewing skills made her one of the most prominent figures in broadcasting, has died. Walters passed away peacefully in her home, surrounded by loved ones. Walters began her national broadcast career in 1961 as a reporter, writer, and a panel member for NBC's Today Show, before being promoted to co-host in 1974. In 1976, Walters joined ABC News as the first female anchor on an evening news program. Barbara Walters died at 93. One of the four singers who earned pop success and critical acclaim as the Pointer Sisters died Saturday. Granny winner Anita Pointer died at the age of 74. Pointer was a founding member of the original Pointer Sisters. The group's 1973 self-titled debut album included the breakout hit Yes, We Can. They were also known for hits songs like I'm So Excited, Slow Hand, Neutron Dance, and Jump For My Love. The singers gained a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1994. Memphis rapper and 3-6 Mafia member Gangsta Boo died on New Year's Day. Gangsta Boo, whose real name was Lola Chantrell Mitchell, was found dead Sunday afternoon. Gangsta Boo rose to fame as the second female rapper of 3-6 Mafia, which featured her on their hit song, Tear the Club Up 97. She reportedly left the group in the early 2000s. In 1998, her debut solo album, Inquiring Minds, reached number 15 on the Billboard Top R&B Hip Hop Albums chart and featured the hit single, Where Them Dollars At? Gangsta Boo worked with several popular artists, including Eminem, Outkast, Gucci Mane, and Gorilla. Gangsta Boo died at 43. With that, we want to say thank you for joining us for this evening. And once again, happy New Year's to each and every one of you. Make sure to be right here tomorrow for tomorrow's episode of Roland Martin Unfiltered. And stay tuned writ large to the Black Start Network. We'll see you next time. Holla. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 